This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. Today, you guys, a pretty big holiday, National Everything You Do is Right Day. <laughs> so we already oh. know the show's going to be perfect, right? Yes. Yeah? We can't lose. Because we well, say so. Yeah. <laughs> that is a holiday that no married man in America has ever celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> Well, comes, I can tell you that. It comes right before, of course, St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow. So plenty, One of my favorites. Yeah, plenty of, uh, I'm sure, imbibing or drinking happening this weekend. Corned beef and cabbage. <gasps> yes, a classic. Yep. Uh, Maura, do you, yep. you mentioned you love it. Do you guys in your family, do you, do you have a classic dinner if you're at home or do you have? Yeah, my dad is about 96% Irish and oh, yeah. from Boston. So, yeah, we, <laughs> oh, we usually do uh, corned beef and cabbage um, <laughs> On St. Patrick's. Any other traditions? Any other like St. Patrick's Day traditions? Do you go anywhere? Do you like watch something? Do you? No, usually just dinner with the family. Dinner with the fam. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I they're in Colorado now, so I won't yes. this year. But yeah, that's what we used to do. Oh, that's great, <laughs> Justin. How about you? Any uh, special St. Patrick's Day traditions or at Heritage Distilling? Anything you guys do? Yeah, we go out and we go cow tipping and pick up cow patties and uh, have uh, frisbee contests with them. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Okay. <laughs> we, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> no. When uh, I don't want PETA getting upset. That's not true. Uh, when um, our kids were little, um, the leprechauns would come to our house, and they Aww. would put green food coloring in the toilets, and uh, they would uh, turn all the furniture upside down and just turn the house kind of cattywampus because, you know, those leprechauns are precocious. Yes, they are. That sounds fun. Caught. I like that. Yeah. Now the kids don't care, and it just makes a mess, so we stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether you're celebrating everything you do is right day today or St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, we hope you have a great and safe weekend. We just want to make sure you mark your calendars for a really great event that's going to be coming up next Saturday. This is really exciting. Heritage Distilling and Seabear, they're partnering up, or they have partnered up, to come up with a brown sugar bourbon smoked salmon. Yes, you heard that correctly. BSB smoked salmon. The official launch is going to be next Saturday, March 23rd, at Heritage Distilling in Capitol Hill. So we just want to make sure that right now you've got a week to plan. Make sure you schedule some time to come by 1.30 to 3 p.m. is the invite-only VIP preview. And then at 3 p.m., that's open to the general public, so you can come on down uh, to Capitol Hill. Uh, you can purchase discounted flights of four types of salmon that are paired with two different cocktails or four-and-a-half-ounce tastes of paired spirits. It's going to be incredible. And we'll also talk to Michael Mandelo, president and CEO of Seabear, coming up on the next Cast Club Radio. So make sure you check that out as well. But a great event coming up in one week's time. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Well, big news. Our friends at Anheuser-Busch, which is the largest uh, beer conglomerate on the planet, they have put their toe into the spirits water. I've been wondering when this was going to happen. They acquired Craft Distillery branded Cutwater Spirits out of San Diego. 
Uh, the reason this is such a big deal is because Anheuser-Busch is primarily a, a beer distributor, and uh, or they have beer distributors around the country. So this is their first real organized foray into spirits. It's a different logistical challenge for them. The state laws, licenses, and franchise rights are different in all the states. So, you know, they're about to enter uh, a category that they've not had to plan around for the last 80-plus years. Cutwater Spirits came out of Ballast Point Brewing Company. They were acquired by Constellation uh, in 2015 for a cool $1 billion. And uh, the founder of Ballast Point Brewing had started a small distillery. So they got their cool $1 billion, and when Constellation bought the brewery, they left, and they started to build their distillery, and now they've turned it into a pretty successful brand, Cutwater Spirits. They feature premium canned cocktails, and they're distributed right now in 34 states, and uh, now they just got bought by Anheuser-Busch. So these are very successful business guys. They flipped two companies to two of the biggest um, alcohol purveyors in the world. And, uh, you know, now they will have time and money to retire or run for president or do whatever <laughs> or you do. Or go on to their next project. Yeah, I mean, sounds like they uh, are pretty good at this. And we are seeing the canned cocktails thing really continue to be big. And it doesn't look That's like right. it's going away anytime soon, which I'm fine with. I've yeah. been enjoying trying enjoy a them. lot yeah. of them. Yes. Yeah, they're cocktails in the can in the last year grew 356% for the Cutwater brand. Uh, the segment as a whole was up 66%. So uh, they're, they're doing something right, that's for sure. What's our final story in the headlines this week? This is interesting. This comes again from our friends at the drink business. You know, we talked many shows ago about if you drink tonic water, you might be a psychopath. Well, here <laughs> they're questioning if there's a link between brain size and liking tonic water. So this is a study out of the University of Queensland in Australia. It uncovered a link between taste perception and brain size, revealing that bitterness is perceived as less intense by those with larger brains. Uh, The study examined volumes of uh, 82 regions of interest and perceived intensities of sweet and bitter flavors. It had 1,600 people from Australia and the U.S. participate in the study. Each participant's brain was measured using an IR, I'm sorry, an MRI scan. Uh, quinine, which is the key ingredient in tonic water, was used to assess the response to bitter taste as they scanned the brains. The article concluded that the study provides the first evidence that even in healthy people, variations in brain structures are associated with taste intensity ratings, and it provides new insights into the brain's what they call gustatory circuit. So evidently, there is a correlation between brain size and taste profiles. Now, we could take that one step further. Let's think about this. You like tonic water, and you're more likely to be a, a psychopath. It was gin and tonics. Study. Yeah, we, we should know. Gin and tonics, the, yes. The sociopath gin and tonics, study which requires tonic yeah. water. <laughs> yes. So if you are a liker of gin and tonics, and you are more likely to, to be a psychopath, according to that study, does this study then indicate the psychopaths have bigger brain sizes? That would probably need to be a whole other study <laughs> on its own. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you could, I mean, I could make that leap. I've that. watched enough of those shows on some of the more um, well-known serial killers and stuff that a lot of times they 
unfortunately are very smart and cunning. Mm-hmm. That's how they get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you'd, we definitely need more research to be able to link those two. some official scientific <laughs> well, research. Yeah, but if you're a gin and tonic lover, you could just say that you were crazy smart. Yes. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we always love to hear from local businesses and people who started with just an idea and a dream and made it happen. And on next on Cast Club Radio, we get to hear from our friends from Copper Coin and Coastline Burgers, now expanding and growing their business. It's a really cool story behind it. Also, if you've never been, we'll tell you why you need to get into one of their locations. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Every so often, we love to tell stories here on Cast Club Radio, especially of local businesses doing great things because, well, that's how Heritage Distilling got their start. Maura and I sat down with Brandon Bowman and Greg Graham of Copper Coin and Coastline Burgers to discuss the story behind these great restaurants, how they started with a little bit more than a dream, some paint, some hard work, and how they've grown into thriving businesses and also made an impact in their communities along the way. What's your full job title? We don't do yeah. job titles because we don't like the higher, like the super hard hierarchy of like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have business cards and name tags. Yeah. We just, we're just the dudes that run the place. Yeah. <laughs> it's the dudes that run this place. I like that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be, yeah, because we 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 have transient roles all the time. Mm-hmm. I would have been the operations, company operations manager. That sounds, sounds stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to say that. And then, but then I'm running the new store, so I'm just focused on one store. And then you're now the operations manager of the Seattle territory, which is two stores. Right. Just, that's, it just gets silly. Yeah. It's just kind of the around the place. Western yeah. region. Just yeah. to run the place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. And the, it's funny thing in one of the challenges, but also what we enjoy about the job is it, it changes week to week. Like one week yeah. you are a repairman, like you are the on-site, like you just have to yeah. do stuff. And then next week you're, you're, you know, Brandon's building a website or whatever it is. Yeah. So. Just, we're just a small company. So it just, we just have to do whatever comes up. So have you guys been with the company since the beginning? Yes. Since the inception. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as you mentioned, you do a bunch of jobs. So what was your first job with them? First job was the primary owner, Aaron, who we'll, we'll mention. He's yeah. home with small children today. He couldn't make yeah. it. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he, when he, we've both worked with and for him in the past. He's the same age as us, and he got this space. And the space became available, and called both of us immediately. He'd already approached us about managing in the past. I said no, I turned it down. And then he said, "I have this new opportunity, and it seemed like a fun, creative thing." It was just right. So, so we just walked into a shell on day one. So my, my, both our first job was building this, painting this place, tearing it down, and building it. And we just from there just had to figure everything out and go. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was yeah. not, it was not a restaurant when we came in. We had to make it a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So when you saw the space, what were you, what were you guys, what were your initial thoughts about? You know, you had to basically build it from scratch. What were the? It thoughts? was an existing restaurant. We went out of business, and we won't bring up that negativity, yeah. but. Um, we just wanted to just make it our own, you know. It was a it was our first opportunity to be creative and go. Okay, now we have a hundred percent control over what we want to do here. And so that was our oppor- our first opportunity to try that out, and it was really satisfying. Through our, our careers, I think, and dabbling in management, you kind of butt up against that ceiling of ultimately you have to you're, you're getting dictated how the operation yeah. is going to go and, and what you have to adhere to. And this was kind of that freeing moment of wow this is a blank canvas in a lot of ways and like how do we want to do this but then it's also this really ominous thing like what colors go on the walls like how do we set this stuff up and well, you're thinking you about know, what's the menu going to be what's the traffic flow going to be where do you want to we're going to build booths where are we going to put the tables how do we make 
how do we divide it up to make it nice for our staff to be able to work it where our servers have you know good sections where they're going to make good money but they can keep up with what's going on but the customers are happy all those decisions and that's kind of fun right if you're yeah. if you're a server once your life and you're like you get to be the person that that when you're working a job and you're like, why would someone put the water station over here and you're so mm-hmm. mad? Mm-hmm. That's that's really the most satisfying is, oh, I get to pick that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get and then you get humbled real fast about how when you're the person making all the decisions that you're not always as right as you thought you were. Right. And maybe the person that made decisions before you, yeah. they're doing too much. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, week one was trial by fire. Yes. You know, day one is like, oh, man, we need to order, like, boxes of crayons, crates of crayons, and get some kids' yeah. menus going, and oh, it's yeah. going to be a family place. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. you came in, did you guys already, did you know what the menu essentially was going to look like or what you wanted to do from a culinary we did. slash we your did. perspective? Aaron, who's not present, he's the main um, culinary background. Our skill mm-hmm. sets is... He's, he's extensively formally trained in kitchen. Oh, wow. Um, they, uh, he did a lot of cooking tours and stuff. And then he has a, I think we can plug this minorly, he's, he's got a family connection to the Red Mill Burgers. Um, the owners are his aunt and uncle. So we're not affiliated with the company at all, but there's a, a family relation there. Um, so there was some mentoring and stuff, you know, when he was younger from that program. Um, and so he developed most of the stuff. And it's always been the same thing, is we don't want to overcomplicate stuff. You know, we've always... One of the core concepts coming in here was you go into some of the really big corporate chains, not to get name people by names, but sometimes you'll go somewhere and you get a binder like that's like 60 pages of menu. And it's just overwhelming and ridiculous, right? And you can tell that that's because they just their marketers said we have to appeal to all these different. We just want to go simple, right? So we want to go. Um, we just looked at what we thought the neighborhood wanted. This is a neighborhood with young kids and stuff. So what's what's the what's the way we can do things freshest? You know, and do it best, and and a lot of the ways we do that is by keep not overcomplicating, keeping things simple. And that was the core. When you have a menu that's that big, I'm not sure that you necessarily do anything really well. Exactly. It's, you, you just have a lot of items, but you exactly. can't really make everything great if you have that many things. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, exactly. The- it makes it more difficult to manage and and quality across the board can vary wildly between 100 items on your menu so you know for us we wanted to do kind of the familiar favorites you'll see fish and chips and a burger on our menu and you know we kind of represent other cuisines in there as well like Vietnamese or you know jambalaya for like southern cuisine but just trying to do those familiar things and do them to a better degree of quality right scratch kitchen was a vision from the start and uh, just try to make things as appealing as possible and familiar as possible the same way right what about the beer wine side of it? And kind of guess to backtrack a second, and the roles that we started with when we opened the doors here, Brandon was primarily, you know, front of the house management um, and really big part of the logistics of setting things up. Like we discussed, like where's the station going to be? I did like yes, service logistics and then design, like mm-hmm. the, the photos and the colors. Yeah, all the artwork here is all Brandon's and stuff. And my focus initially was the bar program. Because we came in, this place had a pre-existing, you know, big cooler with 20 taps and was ready to go. Um, my background was leading up to this. I hadn't worked in a, a craft beer bar, but I'd done a lot of uh, like craft cocktails and wine. And uh, so the challenge right out of the gates was how are we going to, you know, make this a 20 tap, a successful 20 tap program. Uh, so I spent a lot of time researching at breweries, which is a good, good uh, first step and certainly an enjoyable part of the job. Uh, but, yeah, just had a vision for creating a uniquely composed list. There's a lot behind the scenes that goes into where that beer is going to come from. And it can be a smattering of, you know, small upstart breweries, of which there's many in Seattle. Like, it seems like almost a new one every month um, that are independently distributing their beers. Uh, and then there's larger breweries, more established, that will contract with a third-party vendor that gets it on the truck and gets it out to us. And there's 
several of those entities. So if you really wanted to be just lazy about it, you could say, hey, well, I'm going to call, make one call and fill all these 20 taps. But I had a vision for putting in a little more work and getting a list that you just weren't going to find you know, this 20 collection, collection of 20 taps anywhere else. So that's kind of where that process started. How did the learning curve go? You guys mentioned like the first week you, you hmm. opened that you had. What was that like, learning curve or process? It was both. It was really hard, very humbling, and very rewarding. Uh, I think all of those things. We were received pretty pretty positively by the neighborhood right away. Mm-hmm. I think just that honest, hard work of a simple menu, and you, you just try to put your best foot forward. You know, this wasn't supposed to be a big cash grab. This is just us wanting creative, you know, creative control over a new program. I think that played really, really well. Um, but there's just lots of little things that hang you up. I can't even name them all, but it's just a daily basis. You know, equipment's going to break. You know, mm-hmm. um, you'll have your staffing issues. You'll have product supply issues and all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be, anyone that runs a restaurant is going to be familiar with that. But I would say that those are the those are your main hurdles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just learning, just learning as you go. You know, Greg had to adapt the beer program, and you know that's a huge thing to juggle to keep, you know, be meeting with vendors and keeping fresh stuff coming up on the horizon and all that kind of stuff. Same thing with the food. Um, I think that would be the biggest. It was really one of the things that kicked it into gear for me and like, oh, wow, this is really happening is when we got a lot of the product in. So all of a sudden, like 20 kegs are showing up and we're hooking them up and having to map them from where they come. We have essentially 100 foot beer lines, which is kind of crazy. And maybe not how we would have chosen to set it up, but it has its perks too because it keeps that program, all the kegs that are moving in and out kind of out of sight and tidy and, you know, easier to manage. But yeah, we were like running upstairs, tapping a keg. Where does it come out down here? Like try some beer. Okay, this is good. And getting that program all set. And that's where it started to feel like, you know, wow, in a week's time, there's going to be, you know, we were sitting at this very table, as a matter of fact, the day before we opened, and just kind of had that weird surreal <laughs> moment of yeah. the paint's, like, still drying, and, like, tomorrow yeah. there's going to be people in these seats. Like, you're I never hope it ready. goes all right. You, you, during the whole build-out, you're planning when you want to open, and you think, okay, we've got a couple months or a month, you know, to get ready. And then all of a sudden, no matter what you do, you we're opening the door, and you're kicking drills under tables and stuff. Just like, here, you know, here it goes. Yeah. And then two years later, now we know how to, like, service a whole glycol system and tear a pump apart and... You know, you just have to know that. You just have to figure it out. Uh, we can relate on, I think, radio front, where it's like yeah. you never feel totally prepared. You could prepare for a long time, but you're going to go on air. You just, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. Totally well, and, and this show was brand new when we started it. So, yeah, at one point, we, we tried a bunch of ideas, but at one point, we just had to do a first episode. Yeah, it's like, it, it, it's got yeah. to go. Got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Got to happen. Sure. Well, from slapping paint on the walls and kicking a few screws under the table, making some mistakes along the way, both Copper Coin and Coastline Burgers have certainly come a long way since then. Up next on Casco Radio, we'll hear from Brandon and Greg on how they've applied that same simple yet very thoughtful approach to their menu as well as to the cocktails they make. That's next on Casco Radio. back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks again for hanging out with us on this fine Saturday. And we were chatting earlier in the show with our friends Brandon Bowman and Greg Graham of Copper Coin and Coastline Burgers. Now two different locations that you can uh, see them and visit them at, have some great food. But of course, here at Cast Club Radio, we always want to talk about the drinks. So we asked them about their cocktail program. So we mentioned, so whether it's a cocktail or a food item menu, from like idea inception to that, it ending up on the menu, what's that like? 
time you mentioned it's extensive. What would be that? Yeah, process? it's a hard one to answer because it's ongoing. Yeah. You know, we've got balls in the air that we threw up three years ago that haven't yeah. landed yet. So yeah. it's just ongoing. It's could just, be shorter, it's, could be longer. Yeah, it's just staying on top of the, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if anyone's been, you know, water skiing or wakeboarding, you're just, you try to stay on that wave. Mm-hmm. Once you catch an edge and you're going to go, you're going to go. So we're just trying to stay on that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an ongoing process. But I would say weeks to months generally as a turnaround for stuff like that. What's one of the creations that you're most proud of in that respect, whether it was taking some of what people know but still allowing them to push their comfort zone a little bit? I think the featured cocktail program was a really good example of how the, kind of the intersection of something new and different and, and kind of paired with familiarity. So with that program, we'll, we'll have a new cocktail that we generate on a weekly basis, and we're kegging that in-house. And uh, so it's a large format, you know, make a big batch. But I'll, I'll usually incorporate a beer or cider of some kind in that. Uh, so with the bounty of 20 taps, it seems silly not to try some kind of a beer or a cider cocktail. And after some playing around, found some flavor affinities. You know, gin and IPA tend to go really well together because that floral, herbaceous element of the gin really plays well with the you know citrusy floral elements of hops. Uh, things like stouts and uh, porters go well with uh, tequila and rum. The kind of rich maltiness accentuates some of those elements of the spirits. So it was a fun you know kind of playground for me to start. But once we dialed in on familiar cocktails that you could mix a beer or cider into and give it a little bit of a different texture element. Uh, and you know some uh, unique flavors. That's a program that's been you know really successful from the from its inception and, and from its launch. So I really you know whatever that featured cocktail is is something that I still, although I've released a lot of the bar program to other um, individuals, that's one thing I still have my hand in on the week you know weekly basis is is getting there and playing mad scientist for a little bit. So and that that featured cocktail he just told you about is a really good example. That's a really good. Um, kind of a case study of what we're trying to do all around here because what's cool about that is you, you know you get all the complex flavors and the creativity involved in creating the product for people um, but at the same time he mentioned that we keg it in-house so what, what that means is it's a tap uh, it's a tap cocktail so we make it in large batches and we seal it and that that's kind of a little bit of both because what you do there is you don't have to wait for your bartender to spend 45 minutes making your drink with 45 steps, you know, which is fun sometimes. But some, sometimes on Friday with the kids, you don't have time for that, you know, and that's that's what we're trying to do. But we can still give you that same experience and flavor when it comes out the other end because we're making large batches. We're sealing it so there's no, you know, oxygen touching it so it stays fresh. Um, and then the, the bartender can make it in, in a third of the time. So kind of everybody wins. And that, that, that is a good example of what we're trying to do here. So we've talked a lot about it, but can you explain this week's featured cocktail? So break it down for people. Yeah, so we're <laughs> on. To that. Yeah, this one's just uh, the Buckingham Punch with a, a, a nod to you know Buckingham being, of course, Buckingham Palace, uh, named because of the gin. So using a London dry gin. Um, there's a honey lavender cider that we have on right now from Teton. Uh, that it's a little early to get into the spring flavors, but we really like that cider, so it seemed a good opportunity to kind of tease those spring flavors that are coming up. Um, gin being floral and herbaceous pairs really well with the lavender that's in that cider. Uh, the honey just gives it a little in, innate sweetness that kind of tempers the acidity of the cider. Uh, and you got fresh lemon. Um, we make our own house-made pomegranate grenadine, so there's no you know neon red stuff going into your drink here. It's uh, just pomegranate juice and organic cane sugar. And uh, that kind of rounds out an earthy sweetness for that drink. 
Um, so, uh, you know, a variation of a, a classic, like a gin, um, gin daisy or something in that, or gin punch, but uh, incorporating that cider gives it a really kind of a funky fizz and a textural element. And the nice thing about sealing that cocktail in the keg is it will retain any carbonation that goes in. So whether it's a cider or a beer, when you shake it up, it still has like a, a nice foam on there. Um, so, yeah, finishing off with a little lemon peel, and you get the oils from the, you know, when we do a, a, a garnish, a drink, it's always intentional for, you know, adding a, a component of the flavor or the aroma. So we'll do a big old peel of citrus and, and squeeze all the oils, you know, over the top of the drink, drop it in. Um, it just kind of gives it a little bright finish. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a fun example of just, you know, a familiar spirit and, you know, gin, lemon juice, uh, a sugar component in this case is the pomegranate, and then you're throwing in that you know unexpected element of a cider that that itself has some complexity with the honey and lavender, and the whole thing comes together is just like really refreshing, kind of like makes you want spring, kind of a punch. <laughs> it's good for right now, yeah. Well, we're sitting here on Sunday morning. We have to mention that you guys are now doing brunch. What? How did the brunch venture come about? Because that wasn't always the case, right? No, we. No. It was a long time coming. We always thought we had a great space for brunch, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, in the in the vein of that, you know, we discussed earlier of keeping things kind of simple and efficient and, and executing at a high level. Brunch was always this, you know, big a big leap into being prepared and, and making sure that it, it adheres to those same principles. It really is. We had a brunch menu ready to go right at open. I think we still have it right on the wall upstairs somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just we just couldn't couldn't get it get to you know that simplicity thing. Coming back to it is yeah, brunch is really hard. It's really hard on the kitchen to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, Eggs are difficult to, to cook properly, which is so funny. Eggs. Yeah, <laughs> but if really you can't is. do eggs right, then yeah. brunch is done. Is, yeah, yeah. It's toast. yeah. It extends your operating hours. So, it's, it, like we said, with all these decisions we take so seriously and, and so deliberately, that was a big one that took us a long time to. We we just didn't feel like we could do it properly until until we finally did. So we've always wanted to do it. We we got a chance to, to pull it off finally. How long have you guys been doing it now? It's about a year old, I would say. Yeah, give yeah. or take. Yeah. And other things have kind of developed along the way. You know, we launched Coastline and and got a bakery involved. So, you know, brunch took on a different meaning for us when we could bake all of our own fresh brioche and baguette and and you know offer another unique twist. You know, again, is is a unique part of our process and the quality. Um, so that was another reason that brunch kind of went back on the table. Is wow, we have a great opportunity with the product that we have now and. and a world-class baker at our disposal like let's have him make some brioche and put some eggs on it and see how it tastes and it panned out really well well you mentioned coastline and you also mentioned the growth i mean what's that process been like to open coastline not just one but two locations now um that's been a blast um i've been heavily involved in the coastline program um and i really enjoy it uh for the same reasons you know we isolate the menu here and, and what we try to do um here as far as freshness and simplicity we just kind of took that to a whole other level with the coastline program where that's now you can kind of be in and out in 15 minutes if you need to so that that program has been same with the bakery we open up the ability to bake our own buns have full control over that you know it's so cool when you you look at your bun and you go you know i'd like the the meat to stick out just a little bit more from the bun instead of going back through vendors and seeing what kind of bun you get you just talk to your baker and he goes yeah done and the next day you have the perfect bun it's it's amazing um so We've been able to do that, um, and it's the same thing. It's the it's the families and people with normal lives that um, we don't want them to have to choose between sitting at a restaurant for two hours, you know, waiting for the server to come back, and like I said, that's its own thing, or going to you know fast food and McDonald's and getting, like Greg was saying, some some hyper you know red drink or something like that. Um, we we wanted to sit there right in the middle, so it's it's kind of a a, a sleeker faster version of, of what we did here at the Copper Coin um, with the Coastline program. 
So if people who have never been to Coastline, what are they getting when they go there? You're going to get at Coastline, you're going to be getting a... Um, a classic American style hamburger. So we, we always joke we're not doing um, we're not doing duck burger. We're not doing foie gras, lamb. We're doing a, a classic beef kind of American style burger. Um, but everything we put on is going to be exceptional. So the house baked buns. We're going to get a local um, co-op raised um, you know uh, all vegetarian diet, no hormone, drug free beef. Um, and then we make all the sauces ourselves. Now all the mayos and stuff are going to be made ourselves. Um, and, and, that, and that's what you're going to get. Sim- simple and good. Yeah. So one in West Seattle, now one in Kirkland. Kirkland just, yeah, just opened up uh, right at the end of last summer. Um, this will be our first summer coming up here, and that's been that's been really fun, and that's been going really well. So that's yeah. kind of our new baby project. We also moved the Central Bakery out to Kirkland. Okay, um, yeah. So just in a, a funny twist of fate, how it worked out was the original Coastline was previously a pie shop. Um, so had a lot of the bakery established, and, you know, that's where the idea came in. Like, we can bake our own buns. That pie shop that Greg mentioned... Um, there was a, a part-time employee that was baking for that business when they moved on. Um, and we just, on a whim, asked him if he wanted to stay with us and help a little bit. Um, his name is Roberto, and he is the most amazing man in the world. He runs our baking program since day one. He has run it completely. He's self-sufficient. He requires no supervision. He's an absolute master. He loves baking. He, he will... We, we buy him flour in large batches instead of buying him you know, a bag of flour a week or so. He, we buy him in large batches because he looks at the date on them. He has all of his recipes in grams, down to the gram, and weighs everything like a scientist. And he can tell us when the date changes on a bag of flour that the moisture content has changed in the flour. So his whole recipe needs to be redone again. Um, and that, that level of expertise he's brought to us, and he's just been on autopilot. And in, in the um, three and a half, almost four years that he's been baking for us, We've never had too many buns, and we've never run out. Um, he's absolutely amazing. So wow. that, that needs to be mentioned, that people are getting a really world-class bun with him. And what a, what an awesome, lucky find for us. So he's been critical to the company. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, where can people go to find out more yeah. information about Coastline and Coppercoin? CoppercoinSeattle.com for the Coppercoin. And uh, it will be access to a menu. You can order online there and come pick up uh, in the store here. Um, and then for Coastline right now, it's CoastlineBurgers.com. And then that's a portal to both locations. Uh, you can order online there as well and pick up in-store. Uh, and, of course, all the contact information as far as locations. Or if you want to just do it the old-fashioned way, call on down and, and uh, tell us to make a bunch of burgers for you. We're happy to do it that way, too. And if you'd like to be in touch on a more regular basis, um, yeah, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all your usual suspects. Um, we post regularly to those, those outlets as well. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. That was awesome. fun. Once again, a huge thank you to our friends, Brandon and Greg, for taking the time out of their busy schedules. As you heard, they have no real job title because they do like 80 different jobs. But uh, thank you so much to them for taking time to sit down with us and discuss uh, the pretty incredible story behind Copper Coin and Coastline Burgers. Make sure you check them out. Next on Cast Club Radio, also hearing from one of our favorites, Distiller Dane. He's got a brand new top five for us. Maybe one or two St. Patrick's Day themed things in there. If not, we've also got a St. Patrick's Day themed cocktail for you. It's all ahead on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us on this fine Saturday. In just a few minutes, we've got a great cocktail for you, one that will go pretty darn well, I think, with St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. But first, we have one of our favorite people on the line, Distiller Dane. How are you? 
I'm doing good. How's everyone doing? Doing well. Getting ready for the holiday tomorrow. We learned that today is everything you do is right day. It's a national holiday that actually exists. So definitely (laughs) feeling pretty good about ourselves today. Well, this is Dane's first year of being married. This is Dane's first year of not celebrating that holiday. (laughs) Well, one thing we know you'll do right, Dane, is give us an amazing top five. It's going to be great. What's number one on your list? All right. Number one on my list, there's been a ton of hype around uh, this establishment going around for a while. And I'd never been to one before. And I finally got to go to one and give it a shot. And I can say it definitely lives up to all the hype it deserves. And that is Din Tai Fung or a ETF. Yes, I agree. Have you guys tried one out before? Yes, classic. Mm-hmm. And also at the at the ballpark now, T-Mobile Park. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, we got really excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that going well, but uh, I got to go with a large group. So the best part about that was we got to try everything. Oh, yeah. And they definitely have plenty of tasty pork variations of dumplings. But being a truffle man, I'd have to say the favorite one that I tried that night was definitely the truffle dumpling. Oh, I've never tried that. Me either. All right. That's a to-do list item for sure. All right. Number two. Uh, Number two on my list. This is a brewery based in Seattle. I don't think they have a tasting room open yet, but I've been finding their beers around all the local stores, and they are called Mirage Beer Company. Um, A little smaller brewery, but they're putting out some really great stuff. We can't miss their cans because they're basically all kind of like shiny like a mirror with little simple lettering on it. And their two newest IPAs out right now to look out for are called Final Rose. And for me, The Action, which is a playoff of a famous line from the movie Heat. So if you see any of these around, grab one. You won't be disappointed. Is Final Rose a playoff of The Bachelor? (laughs) Not sure. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Next up. Next on my list is clamming because I used to go clamming all the time growing up in the Hook Canal area for kind of the Manila style of clams. There's a few different variations out there like that. Mm -hmm. But I recently went clamming for razor clams for the first time and they are absolutely delicious. There's nothing really like going out and picking up your own clams to eat fresh and everywhere I go, the different people I go with, they always seem to have the kind of their own fresh butter sauce to dip them in themselves as well. And clamming's a decent amount of work, right? It is a little bit of work. Sometimes uh, you can be a little more lucky than others and it's not as much work, but there's been a few times where you're digging for a couple hours before you kind of find the the pot of gold with the clams. You need to train your dog because I went and stayed in a cabin in in Port Townsend once and the dog that lived at the uh, cabins that they run out would just go onto the beach while people were trying to dig up clams and just find them for him. He would just dig a hole and be like, amazing. there they are. It's like uh, the pig (laughs) with truffles, right? I mean, you just have your your friend uh, help you out. I love that. Okay, good tip, Maura. I love it. Unfortunately, my dog focused on stealing them from me. (laughs) And now people are training their dogs to find truffles, too. Oh, nice. Perfect. That would I mean, be a, a lucrative thing to have your dog do. Exactly. It doesn't surprise me. There's a lot that, that do- I don't think there's a lot dogs can't do at this point. <laughs> What's number four? Uh, number four on the list this week. I'm a little lag behind on it because the finale wrapped up a few weeks ago, but I finally got cut up on it. And that is season three of True Detective. Did Ooh. you guys get a chance to check it out? I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to binge watch one of these weekends when I have time. Yeah, I've heard good things. All right. I'm- no, I've not seen it yet. All right, you guys got to get caught up. If, you, if you've seen the previous ones, they lose. You kind of have a little cult following behind them. But mm-hmm. we're liked about this season. I won't give anything away, but it, 
basically portrayed three different time eras of the detectives, which is kind of an interesting way of looking at it, of them going back and looking over the same case, which was kind of essentially never solved. So really, but I've heard... you got to watch it all the way through to see what happens at the end. Okay, perfect. I've heard it's a real return to the first season. They sort of struggled, I know, last season. Yeah, uh, season like two was not great. I had a lot of great actors in it, but uh, the storyline... Not my favorite. So I've heard that I've heard a lot of good things that they really kind of returned to the first season and the style that was filmed in. There's definitely some redemption in season three. Love it. Awesome. Love it. All right, number five. Number five on my list is actually Buffalo Trace kind of has some unknown details of a new bourbon that will be coming out. Ooh. And we don't know when it'll be released, but it's going to be attached to their Colonel E.H. Taylor line. And they were calling it the Amaranth Grain of the Gods because they're using <laughs> amaranth in it, which is a grain originally cultivated by the Aztecs. And it's supposed to be kind of similar to wheat, but it's supposed to bring a kind of flavors over of notes of butterscotch and spearmint and followed with pecan and dark berry. So... Wow. You've got to keep your eyes out for it, and it's definitely something I'm going to be search, searching for once it's released. Sounds pretty darn good. Yeah, you can't uh, amaranth, one of the ancient grains, right? I'm seeing it more and more places, so it's interesting. Well, another great top five, Dane. Thank you so much for uh, sending us uh, off into the holiday. Right, it is National You Do Everything Right Day, so this was, of course, another flawless top five. Yeah, thank you. Back to work. Well, we want to send you off into the holiday right with a cocktail recipe uh, in case you want to make it for yourself for a party you might be having. Justin, what is this week's cocktail recipe themed perfectly? Themed for St. Patrick's Day, we call this the Irish cream, the HDC Irish cream. It's a two-part recipe. It takes a couple steps, so I'm going to read through, and you can uh, uh, we'll have it online as well. So the first part... Make the Irish cream. This requires a teaspoon of unsweetened cocoa powder, a cup of whipping cream, a 14-ounce can of sweetened condensed milk, half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, and a cup of our Elk Rider bourbon. You put it in a small bowl. Uh, you put the cocoa powder and the cream into the uh, bowl, uh, cream it into a paste, and then uh, add more cream uh, until it's all in there. Add the bourbon, add the vanilla, add the condensed milk, and uh, keep it in the fridge for up to two weeks. So it's a great little cream additive. Then... We do things like we add it to coffee in BSB oh or BSB gosh. 103. So uh, it's pretty awesome. amazing. You can put it, you can mix it with coffee liqueurs. You can mix it in regular hot chocolate. It's amazing. It's our HDC Irish cream. And you are going to want to thank me later. Yeah, it sounds like you can kind of personalize it. I like that. You can. And if you've got friends coming over for uh, the Irish holiday, it is a great way to top off any kind of adult beverage. <laughs> perfect. Perfect way to send everybody into the St. Patrick's Day. Of course, we hope you have a safe uh, holiday out there, but having fun with your family and friends. If you want to check out these recipes, uh, cocktail recipes, they're available at heritagedistilling.com as always. Also, easy way to download episodes there uh, if you've missed this episode or past episodes of Cast Club Radio. That's right. You can also find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio. You can go to heritagedistilling.com Find the link for Cast Club Radio. You can also go online and shop and get spirits and merchandise and tons of cocktail ideas. You can also find us on Instagram. And uh, we're getting some great emails and comments, and uh, we love the emails and comments. So keep sending them in, post them on social media, or email us at castclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. And, of course, don't forget to write us on iTunes. 
And don't forget, before we get out of here, there's a great event going on next Saturday. We mentioned it earlier in the show, Heritage Distilling, partnering with Seabear to come up with a brown sugar bourbon smoked salmon. And you can get the official uh, taste test. The official launch is next Saturday, March 23rd. So mark it on your calendars right now to get on down to Heritage Distilling, their Capitol Hill location. 133 is the invite-only VIP preview, but 3 p.m., that's when it's launched to the general public and you want to make sure you get a taste. That's next Saturday. And for now, we'll get out of here. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.